Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson, joining you from the road today. I'm in a rental car here with Mr. Shea Hawkins, my guest on the podcast today. We are driving up to Long Beach for the Novogratic Spring 2022 Opportunity Zones Conference. And Shea is president of the Opportunity Funds Association and a candidate for Congress in his home state of Ohio. Yes, sir. Shea, thanks for going for a ride with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. We got the conference first thing tomorrow, uh, Novogratz Spring Conference. The weather's great here in Southern California, and it looks like we're going to have a good conference tomorrow. Got some exciting new legislation to discuss. That's right, and that's what I want to discuss with you today on this episode of the podcast, Shay. I want to talk about the Opportunity Zone reform legislation that will greatly expand the tax policy by a couple of years yes. and expand it in some other ways as well some guardrails around the program, introduce some reporting and transparency. What can you tell us about this reform legislation? Sure, sure. Break it down for us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, this legislation is exciting for a number of reasons. One, it is a further bipartisan affirmation of the effectiveness of the Opportunity Zones policy. So Opportunity Zones started off as a bipartisan concept. 44 Democrats and 44 Republicans in the House were sponsors. Seven Democrats and seven Republicans were sponsors on the Senate side of the Investing in Opportunity Act, IIOA. And that's the basic language that I use to draft the Opportunity Zone policy into the tax reform bill. So it's been bipartisan from the beginning. So it's great to see this bipartisan marker laid down and the legislation is out there. You know, we've got some great summaries, but just to summarize the key points, it includes a key bipartisan priority, which is to add transparency and reporting requirements to the actual legislation. So beyond anything that's required by Treasury, now we would have some very straightforward transparency and reporting legislation that's based on Senator Scott and Senator Sinema's Impact Act, Impact All Capital Letters. And basically, all you have to do, if you're a fund, you're going to have to let the IRS on an annual basis know about how many direct jobs you expect to create, what industries you're investing in, whether real estate or if operating businesses, what sick codes, where you're investing, and you know about how much you expect to invest. This is information that for the small investor, if it's a couple guys who are investing in a brand new subway franchise in a distressed community, rural or urban, then they can do it in one form, a one pager. And if you're a large fund investing a half a billion dollars over 10 years, like some of our members, then it's information that you would have to provide to your investors anyway. There's some great platforms out there that are developing in anticipation of the Impact Act being rolled into a bigger bill. So, you know, some of the back-end fund administrators like JCT Americas and others who are, who are doing some great work, 
they already have built out the back-end platforms that the larger funds would need. And they're already tracking a lot and of this And they're already data. tracking a lot, a lot of this data for these funds. And so the transparency reporting is important. Because right now, the IRS form that gets collected from each qualified opportunity fund, Form 8996, yes. it, it only asks for very basic information. It asks for which census tracts you're investing yep. in and how much money. Exactly. Essentially, and, and, that's it. So this just... This goes a few steps. Goes a few steps further, yes. it, but I, but the way you characterize it, it sounds like it's kind of found the sweet spot between not getting enough information yes. and asking for too much information that would be burdensome to, to too many funds. Okay, absolutely. Go on, Shay. What, and, what what else does the bill? And do? so beyond that, the bill will allow for a fund of fund structure. For opportunity funds, which for those of you, most of the people listening to this are involved in other areas of finance or have been in the hedge fund and private equity community. There's often a structure where investors can invest in a fund that then invests in other hedge funds or private equity funds. Right. And it's a way to deploy capital in a way that's a little more industry agnostic. You know, what I know is that if people are skilled at identifying investors in the same way that other funds are skilled in identifying investments, if you will, then it allows for additional capital to come in. And this is something that had been a long time priority of folks in the Opportunity Zone world. Folks at EIG and Economic Innovation Group really pushed for this as we were drafting the policy into law in the first place. What it allows is significantly more capital to come into these distressed communities and do good because investors will have one more significant platform in which to get involved. Right. Right now, fund of funds is prohibited by the, the regulations. Even if you have your own qualified opportunity fund, sometimes it can be rather burdensome to have to go out and find a project that qualifies within the certain time period and might force you to unwind your own qualified opportunity fund. This just gives those types of funds another outlet you can just simply kind of tag along with another larger Absolutely. existing fund, have your fund invest directly in another fund. That, that's yes. the way I look at it, too. Absolutely. And that's really critical. Another priority, there are a handful of extremely high income, high average income census tracts that were designated by governors. And most of them are clustered around the coast, as you would expect. And what this bill does is it says if you have an investment in those areas to date and you're fine, no problem. That investment can carry through to the time that you, a lot of that investment, all of your deferment carries through, through, through the normal deferment period. But they're saying no new investment within a time period of, I believe it's four months after enactment of this bill, okay? So essentially you're talking about disqualifying a handful of high income census tracts, but yes. there'd be a grandfathering provision. Absolutely, for existing investors. So it wouldn't blow up an existing yes. fund. Okay. Yep. And how many opportunity zones do you estimate would, would fall into that disqualification criteria? You'd, you'd be looking at a couple dozen. Okay. It's really just a handful. Okay. And, that, and that's out of the 8,700 that are, that are there. Right. So that's something where there, there's safe harbors built in. So if you have an investment that's gotten started, uh, they still be good. And also, one of the key elements that we really push for at the Opportunity Funds Association, one of our top priorities, along with transparency reporting, was to build in an extension of the policy. Right. right? Well, hang on. Before we get to that, can we back up for a second sure. and, and talk about the 
disqualification of opportunity zones. Sure. Let's use the language of the bill. Let's say sunset. Sunset. Yes. Yeah, sunset. If if a zone gets early sunsetted, the state has the ability to redesignate those tracks, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's a key point. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as the policy was initially designed, we wanted to put the power into the hands of governors and take the power out of the hands of the White House and Treasury, right? Right. And so, yes, governors will have the ability to redesignate those sunset census tracts and allow them the shot at creating additional opportunity zones and an additional shot at some job creating investment in those states. Yeah, so, so that's that's very exciting. So we're in California right now, possibly California being one of those states along the coast sure. with some high income sure. OZs. Yes. Might have a handful that get early sunsetted. Yep. Well, Governor Newsom will have the ability to designate some new tracks. He will. Which would be really interesting to see how that unfolds. And, and one of the natural elements that you see across the country is inevitably there were tracks that were left out that in hindsight people feel should have been in and vice versa. So to an extent, as relates to this handful of sunset zones, this will give governors another shot. So that's very exciting as well. I'm glad, uh, glad you noted that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so you were about to talk about the extension, right? Yes. So tell us about and, that. And, and so, so the bill builds in a very straightforward overall extension of the deferment period. So right now, if you invest in a qualified opportunity zone business, you can defer the capital gains you invest in that business for as long as you hold the investment in an opportunity fund or until December 31st, 2026. All this does is pushes that out to December 31st, 2028, right? Which is key because the Opportunity Zone, the Investing Opportunity Act, the, the language that we used as the basis for Opportunity Zones to tax reform was structured as a standalone bill, but it was passed in a $1.5 trillion tax bill with a ton of implementation responsibilities for the Treasury Department that ended up taking years, not months. And so this extension takes into account, one, the long-range implementation process, particularly that we saw around operating businesses, that those regs took quite a bit of time to develop. But it also helps us to account for some of the lost time that we saw due to COVID-19. And so the Treasury Department, thankfully, when COVID first hit, laid out some, some regulations and a lot of folks weighed in on that process to get some relief there on some of the timelines. But having a legislative vehicle to actually push the end date of the policy of new investments under the policy, I should say, is even more effective. And we also saw a one-year extension of the step-up in basis. So that's another key. So you're essentially looking at a year on the step-up in basis and then two years on the overall new investments and opportunity zones. So. Yeah, so just give investors more time to defer their capital gains into qualified opportunity funds. Right now, they have to realize a gain prior to the end of 2026 in order for it to be eligible for deployment into a qualified opportunity fund. Yes. If you do the math, and if, let's say, best case scenario, you have the gain through a Schedule K-1, yes. you have until September 11th of 2027. It's really like the very final last yeah. day yeah, exactly. to make a qualified opportunity fund. If it's not through a K-1, it's uh, I think it's June 27th or 28th-ish yeah. of that same year, exactly. 2027. This exactly. would push that out an additional two years. So that's a pretty big deal to extend yeah, that for absolutely. two years. 
I'm going to have the guys at Novogratic, the accountants. I'm going to bring the accountants into the room to double-check that we'll math, to, we'll, but we'll, it sounds we'll have, right. We'll have to quiz them on that. We're going to have to quiz them. Overall, it's going to give investors more time, and more importantly, it'll drive additional capital into these communities that need it. Yes, Just exactly. give, give everybody a couple more years to get their arms around the program and drive more capital in. Yeah. So what else is in the bill? You or, know, or did you hit the high points already? So, so we hit the high points, and one of the really exciting things when President Biden put out his statement on Opportunity Zones during his campaign, the goal that he laid out, he acknowledged their effectiveness, and the goal that he laid out was around transparency and reporting. So this bill really addresses that stuff. It's bipartisan in nature, and that's critical. One of the most disappointing things, it was a huge victory to get Opportunity Zones included in the tax reform bill, huge. But one disappointing aspect of it is that the transparency reporting requirements, which I, I, I kind of laid out what's there for fund managers, but Treasury also has a responsibility under this legislation to compare the performance of designated opportunity zones against the general economy and then to compare those to places that are financially distressed but weren't designated as opportunity zones, things like that. So they have some important requirements, and those requirements were a part of the original bill. But because we passed tax reform in a reconciliation vehicle, Every element of the bill that didn't have a direct budget impact was vulnerable to being attacked on the Senate floor as the bill was passing. And if the parliamentarian agreed that there was no direct budget impact, then that provision, meaning the entire Opportunity Zones provision, could have been removed. So I had to make the decision, unfortunately, to remove the transparency reporting provisions because it was clear that the minority, in this case, the Democrats, were going to challenge everything that was challengeable, including the best part of Opportunity Zones, the part that allows us to track how well they're performing. I mean, we all know. And it would, have put, it would have put the whole bill at, the whole at, bill at risk. The, the, at all risk. of Opportunity Zones. Exactly. Yeah. And so I couldn't, I was working as tax counsel for Senator Tim Scott at the time, and I wasn't going to gamble or let the leadership gamble with my boss's money. So I stripped it out in the hopes that we could add those transparency reporting requirements back later. And sure enough, later down the road, we had the Impact Act introduced in December 2019 with then Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley leading, along with Senator Tim Scott, who's always been a leader in this space. And we had bipartisan support from Senator Sinema from Arizona. And there's a great clip during the State of the Union where President mentioned Opportunity Zones and he mentioned Senator Scott particularly. Senator Scott gets up and waves. And Senator Sinema is there giving a part of the standing ovation. It's very, very moving given that, you know, it was a Republican president at that time and that she's a Democrat and Senator Scott's a Republican. But it's very moving. And, and so we saw mile, that. Turn left onto Second Street. Oh, we're getting directions. We're here. getting directions. Yeah, we're, getting, <laughs> we're getting close. It was a pretty drive up the Pacific Coast Highway. It, it had was. a nice view there for a while. It was. Very yeah. nice drive. Perfect day here. But, you know, it was great to see it. Introducing the Impact Act. Turn and great left to see, Second Street. And great to see the Impact Act folded into this broader bill. So that's a real joy to bipartisan nature. The sponsors, as we speak, are on the Republican side, Senator Tim Scott of the Senate, and we've got we've got Senator Young as well. Continue on Second uh, on Street. On the Democratic for one side, mile. we've got a Senator Warner, Senator Booker, and also Senator Van Hollen. But we're not only bipartisan on this bill, we're also bicameral. So on the House side, we've got Congresswoman Terry Sewell from Alabama. We've got Representative Ron Kahn from Wisconsin. And on the Republican side, we've got Congressman Mike Kelly from Pennsylvania. 
These are people who've always been involved and stakeholders in Opportunity Zones. And it's good to see a comprehensive bill come together. It's just the beginning because if we can get this passed, either in this Congress or even a future Congress, with the support of everyone involved, then it's really going to give us the tools we need, around, particularly around transparency reporting, to demonstrate in concrete numbers how effective opportunities are for revitalizing distressed communities. So it's very exciting. It is indeed. And I think a lot of the industry is hoping that this legislation gets pushed through at some point, if not in this session of Congress, or maybe a lame duck session after the maybe, election, maybe. hopefully next next session. Or, uh, or maybe a future Congress with some, some new members. Maybe uh, Shea Hawkins is one of the <laughs> I've got your primary coming up in a couple weeks here. Yes, sir. And I know you're running in large part on Opportunity Zones. Sure. And what you plan to do with Opportunity Zones. Sure. I know you have some plans for reform and certainly you'll be supportive of this bill. Turn right onto East the Toledo. What if this bill gets passed before you take your seat in the House of Representatives if you are to win? What are your plans for some future reform? You know what, Lord willing, it will be passed before I get there. Hopefully yep. it'll be passed as soon as possible. They're looking for, for vehicles now and the bill is ready to go. Take the and second right on East the Toledo. That's very similar to how Opportunity Zones developed. The Investing in Opportunity Act had been introduced in the previous Congress to where tax reform occurred. In half a mile, so it turn was a left bill onto East Livingston Drive. That was out there gathering co-sponsors, but it was just looking for a vehicle. And so now we have an expansion bill that's just looking for a vehicle. So hopefully it will be there. If it's not passed, then I would want to be a leader in Congress in getting that passed. It's a great bill and it's got that bipartisan support and I would love to fight for it. But if we get it passed, then we're gonna be looking at the next round of reasonable expansions of the policy. And, and now we're and, getting ahead of ourselves, but but yeah. <laughs> what might that look like? Sure. And the thing is, Jimmy, I use the word reasonable because there are a thousand ideas on how to improve opportunity zones. Oh, sure. And as I've told you before, 990 of those are probably pretty bad. Yeah. So I work on a dozen or so ideas that, one, have a chance of actually passing, you know, any Congress, but two, would serve the purpose of increasing the amount of capital that benefits the existing residents of Opportunity Zones. That's what's key. That's all it meant. And so one of the things that has been discussed and that we really, really want to take a close look at is allowing CDFIs, Community Development Finance Institutions, to take a more active role in Opportunity Zones. So this is something that many members, particularly on the Democratic side, have set out there miles. as a priority. And it, it could get very complicated because as banks are not allowed to be invested in as qualified opportunity zone businesses. CDFIs are a different type of entity, you know, they're nonprofit, but they are financial in nature. So it could be difficult, but the general principle would be to allow CDFIs to exist and be invested in as a qualified opportunity zone business. Okay. Then they would take that additional capital and deploy it as they always have making small-scale loans to small businesses within distressed communities, right? But the investments in the CDFIs would receive all the tax well, benefits of opportunity. Yes, zones. exactly. Okay. And so the return may not be as high as some of the things that we're seeing in current operating businesses, but CDFIs are in the communities already doing, doing good. And so we can build, or really kind of build on that. And so the other things that we would love to look at closely is we would love to see, for the sake of the 10-year step-up in basis, right? So if you hold an investment for 10-plus years, 
then the new the investment in the zone, call it like Hawkins Corp or whatever. Sure. You know, invest a million dollars on the in the east side of Cleveland. So the idea there is that if that investment goes from a million dollars to a hundred million dollars, there's a ninety-nine million dollar capital gain there. What this policy says is that if you hold that capital gain for ten plus years, call it ten years in a day, whatever, when you sell Hawkins Corp, that investment is 100% capital gains tax-free. Yep. It's a 100% step of the no, no tax on that $99 million gain. So what I would love to see is for after post-tax dollars, non-capital gain dollars, to be able to be invested for the sake of that benefit. Yes. If you're willing to invest dollars that have already been taxed and hold that investment in a distressed community for 10 plus years. You should get that benefit. You should get that benefit. And so... That's something that would be very attractive. There's been... I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that question from would-be investors. Hey, I don't have a capital gain. Can I just put regular money in? Yeah. I say, yeah, you can, but it doesn't get any of the benefits. It doesn't get any of the benefits. Yeah. And so that's just one of those things that would be a really reasonable expansion. And it would really drive a lot of capital into those operating businesses particularly. Because the operating businesses are where that upside potential really... Yeah where you really see it coming to play. Yep. And so given that, and that's also where you can really see a lot of exciting job creation. And so given that, I'd love to love to work on that. There's some other ideas that are very interesting, but I don't want to understate what has been accomplished in the bill that was just introduced. Because that really was some of our key concern that we've had ever since we, we literally found it the Opportunity Funds Association to get to this point and to push past this point to passage. So if I'm elected in November, like you said, I've got my primary May 3rd. And if I get through the primary and I'm elected in November, then this is going to be my top priority because it really was one of the largest accomplishments in tax reform that came out for everybody from a community development standpoint. The White House Council of Economic Advisors estimates that 75 billion in equity investments will come into opportunity zones over 10 years. And that's not including the debt dollars that'll follow. Well, I think we've already blown through that number. We have. The, 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 the Novogratic survey, we're headed up to their conference. Yes. Right? Their survey shows, I think it was 24 or 29 billion. I get a couple uh, already, numbers mixed up. Already. And, they, and they estimate that the actual number is three to four times higher than that. Yes. Because Absolutely. they're only surveying a small portion of the universe of qualified opportunity funds. So actually, on our last event that we did, OZ Pitch Day a few weeks ago, Shay, I hinted at the possibility that it may have, we may have already blown through the $100 billion mark. Which would be a beautiful thing. Right. And then if you include debt and other financing, there might be $500 billion, half a trillion dollars of Opportunity Zone projects that already exist out there. Yeah. And what's exciting is that with the transparency reporting, we'll be able to track that much more closely. Oh, yeah. And really advocate for these additional expansions and extensions. That data is what's really critical to make the case to members of Congress that your constituents in America's writ large are going to be benefited by this. So that, that'll that be my priority if elected. We got a great district that's in, in Northeast Ohio where I was born and grew up, born in the city of Cleveland, raised in the suburbs of Cleveland. So this district includes all of Summit County, including the city of Akron, which is just below Cleveland and half of Stark County, which includes all of the city of Canton. 
And so we've got about a dozen opportunity zones there. And so being blessed to be a part of this process. Also, I've been blessed to create jobs in a community where I'm now running for Congress before I ever served in Congress. So it's very exciting. And we are working very hard. I spend from about 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. calling donors and trying to raise money. Like I said, the primaries in two weeks. And then I spend every day from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. calling voters. <laughs> and so we made thousands of phone calls and our team has made even more. And we're just pushing through to May 3rd. Well, all the best of luck to you, Shay. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. If our listeners want to learn more about the Opportunity Funds Association or your campaign, where can they head? Yes. So in, in two separate ideas, as it were, the website for the Opportunity Funds Association is www.zonefunds.funds, plural, zonefunds.org. And on the campaign side of things, you can go to our campaign website, which is www.shayhawkins.org for congress.com and there's there where you can do anything from sign up to make phone calls to if you're in Summit County grabbing a yard sign or in, in Stark County to display in your yard just sharing posts on social media and being an encouragement or donating those are all critical aspects of this campaign as we come into the home stretch here we're looking at a little less than two weeks that's right well Shay we have arrived in downtown Long Beach yeah, it looks like we're just a few blocks from the convention center or the hotel where we're going to be having the conference so i think we'll cut you loose here but appreciate you joining us we'll be sure to link to zonefunds.org yes. and shayhawkinsforcongress.com on the show notes page Excellent. for today's episode you can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast there you'll find links to all of the resources that Shay and I discussed on today's show. Shay, as always, it's been a pleasure. And I think pretty successful first ever road show. Road off, show. On the road. On the road, Jimmy. On, on, the road. on the road with the Opportunity Zones podcast. Thanks, Shay. All right. Thanks so much, Jimmy. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund Investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.